Good day, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Nowhere is that more apparent than in the upcoming election. Issues of central importance to Lutherans are life, family, and religious liberty. All three are campaign issues. On the life issue, the Democrats' party platform includes the following language. Democrats are committed to protecting and advancing reproductive health, rights, and justice. It calls for making abortion available to every woman in the country. To this end, it promises to restore federal funding to Planned Parenthood. It calls for repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal funds from being used for abortion. It also calls for insurers to provide abortion-inducing drugs and rejects conscience protections given to providers, healthcare workers, and others who have moral objections to abortion. Christians have long recognized the importance of adoption to strengthening the family. Faith-based adoption and foster care agencies have found loving homes for thousands of children for hundreds of years. But the Democrat platform calls for forbidding such agencies from following their religious beliefs by mandating that they grant adoption to LGBTQ persons. The agencies are then left with a choice of either violating their faith or closing their doors. The closure of such agencies will throw children into an already overcrowded adoption system. As for religious freedom, uh, the platform states, Religious freedom is a core American value and a core value of the Democratic Party. But then the platform goes on to claim, we will reject the Trump administration's use of broad religious exemptions to allow businesses, medical providers, social service agencies, and others to discriminate. This would negate the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and court protections for any individual or business involved in the wedding industry, the Hobby Lobby case, faith-based adoptions, and others. The party's platform also pledges to pass the so-called Equality Act. Vice President Joe Biden has said he will sign it if elected. The Equality Act is anything but. The Equality Act would force employers and workers to conform to new sexual norms or else lose their business and their jobs. A federal sexual orientation and gender identity law would preclude the compromise of any kind of disagreements about marriage or sexuality. The Equality Act would force hospitals and insurers to provide and pay for these therapies against any moral or medical objections. It would politicize medicine by forcing professionals to act against their best medical judgment and provide transition-affirming therapies. The fight is already here. Catholic hospitals in California and New Jersey have been sued for declining to perform hysterectomies on otherwise healthy women who want to become male. A third Catholic hospital in Washington settled out of court when the ACLU sued them for declining to perform a double mastectomy on a gender dysphoric 16-year-old girl. These cases would multiply under the Equality Act. The Equality Act would ultimately lead to the erasure of women by dismantling sex-specific facilities, sports, and other female-only spaces. Sexual orientation and gender identity laws that open up sex-specific facilities like bathrooms, locker rooms, etc. to members of the opposite sex enable sexual assault. These policies also leave women at a disadvantage in sex-specific sports and other activities. 
to biological males who identify and compete as women easily took first and second place at the Connecticut State Track Championships. The Equality Act would also hurt charities, volunteers, and the populations they serve. State and local sexual orientation and gender identity laws have shut down numerous faith-based adoption and foster care agencies across the country in Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, California, Massachusetts, and the District of Columbia. The Equality Act would cost our country countless of charitable organizations, which means fewer institutions would be available to serve populations in need. The Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, based in Washington, D.C., keeps a close watch on events in the nation's capital and advises lawmakers as to Christian concerns and resources. Executive Director, the Rev. Dr. Greg Seltz, discusses the importance of the upcoming election and what is at stake for the religious community in today's Free to be Faithful. I'm Free to be Faithful moderator Kip Allen. My guest today, Dr. Gregory Seltz, who is the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. Today, we're going to be talking about What's at stake in this election? Greg, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's great to be here with you, Kip. Greg, I just got through reading your article that you had posted on the uh, newsletter from uh, What's at Stake in this in this election. And, uh, you know, there are three things I think that the Missouri Senate in particular are very, very concerned about. Life, religious liberty, and the family. And and I think you address these issues that that these are three issues that are very, very much at stake in this upcoming election. Well, and I think I think the overriding one, I've said the most important one, it's not that I'm trying to diminish life or the family, but I think religious liberty, because religious liberty is the idea that the church has a public voice and that the state needs to listen to that public voice and and you know the the powers that be need to listen to that voice. Well, if we lose that one. Then the whole issue of life and and the family kind of go with it. Um, if we are able to defend that one, we still have hard work to do with uh, you know uh, sanctity of life and and the institution of family. But this religious liberty, you know, we're actually at a point now where there are some people who are saying, even in Congress, as high up as in Congress, that the church shouldn't have a public voice. Uh, and you're like. The heroes, you know, our our worldview actually undergirds so much of constitutional law. What kind of talk is that? It is scary. Uh, you know, the reason that the uh, Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty was established was to act sort of as a liaison with our uh, with our lawmakers to let them know what our position is and how we can help them. Uh, have you been speaking to them on this issue, Greg, or, or how, what what are your feelings? What's been going on? And it started hitting with COVID-19 um, because y- you started to see the abuses where people were treating the church as a secondary or second class uh, group. And it's, an, you know, the church is an essential entity in our constitutional law. I mean, it's not it's not a uh, it's not happenstance that the First Amendment talks about religious liberty and religious assembly. So we were writing we, we've written to pretty much everybody in Congress. We've written to the White House, even the DOJ, we were saying the church is essential, and these governors don't have the right to determine uh, the church's response to COVID-19. Um, so again, you know, it started there, but there is a, there is an aggressive secularism right now in our politics. 
I think it really wants to see if it can have all the liberties of America without the, the you know, religious underpinnings, especially the Christian religious underpinnings. And I think their goal is to say, yeah, we can do it. So they're coming after us uh, in religious liberty terms like never before. Well, Greg, I've, I've uh, read two documents that really caused me concern. One is the Democratic Party platform. And the other is the text of the Equality Act. Uh, the Demo- <laughs> They're both linked. I mean, the Democrats, uh, the, the platform is pledged to the passage of the, uh, of the Equality Act. Vice President Biden has said he will enact it if uh, he becomes president. As you know, the House passed it, but it was not considered by the Senate. The other thing is the language in the, uh, it's alluded to in the platform, but actually in the uh, in the uh, Equality Act itself, it says specifically that the Religious Liberty Restoration Act will not apply. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because you see the, the two nefarious um, Supreme Court rulings, one Obergefell, we were told that Obergefell was very narrow. It was only going to apply to um, same-sex relationships. Well, that's not true. They're using it to actually say that all that if you speak against the idea of gay marriage in any uh, way, shape, or form, that uh, you can be punished. And then, of course, with the um, uh, Bostic ruling, which was the sexual orientation, gender identity that identified uh, sexual orientation with uh, biological sex as if they're the exact same thing from a legal standpoint. Well, that makes the Christian worldview that God created uh, us male and female, that makes that worldview illegal. And, you know, you don't have to wait to see what's going on because in Virginia, they took over the all uh, branches of the government in the state house, as well as the governor, and they they in, enacted a thing called the Virginia Values Act, and they're already uh, um, coming after the churches. They're already threatening the churches that they have to change their teachings, and for sure change what they preach and teach in their schools, their preschools, and in their Sunday services to align with the new way of thinking about these moral and ethical issues. So I always tell people the Equality Act's already here. Just look at Virginia. What exactly is the Virginia Values Act, and how is it impacting religious liberty? Well, it's the same kind of thing that the Equality Act is going to do. It's going to codify the the Bostic ruling that sexual orientation is a protected class. And, you know, when people, it sounds like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, again, you're talking about gender identity, which is something that we can determine and we can change and we can decide upon. The government now is telling you that you have to think of that exactly the same as XXXY, which is a defensible, you know, biological, scientific thing that whether you believe it or not, that's the truth. And so, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we might have disagreements on this. We might say these are preferences. We might say these are lifestyles. No, now it's an illegal, now it's a legally protected class, no matter what a person decides. And you have to honor that and you cannot disagree with it. So you can have a moral position, but if it disagrees with that, you'll literally uh, suffer penalties. And I think the penalty for Virginia Values was $100,000 per incident and unlimited damages. So I don't know of any church that can withstand uh, the legal stuff that would be coming. And again, all we're saying is let us teach and preach Uh, That marriage is between the institution of marriage, which is bigger than a relationship, is between a man and a woman and a man, woman, child is the foundation of society. And let us teach about how men and women, men and men and women and women have healthy relationships with one another, according to the Bible. And they're saying, no. If that is preached from the pulpit, 
Could the officials then actually punish the church or the pastor? Well, I just said $100,000 per incident, unlimited damages. Uh, so if this is something that's spoken and it's against the, you know, we'll see. I We don't have a case yet. And I think it's ADF or the Beckett Fund is already suing back, uh, claiming that this is a, you know, breaking the, the uh, or this is violating the First Amendment protection. But you got to understand the people that wrote the Equality Act and the people that have already written the value, the Virginia Values Act, they don't, they believe the First Amendment's an archaic thing. And so they, don't, they know they can't get it changed through a constitutional convention or an amendment process because people would realize how crazy this is. So they're basically just doing it through this uh, equal rights kind of civil rights uh, legislation stuff where they're identifying sexual orientation with the Equal Rights Amendment of 1964. So, you know, that's how they're doing it through regulation. But $100,000 per incident and unlimited damages and there could be uh, you know, jail time, who knows, but that is what's already here in Virginia. And we'll see if it, if, you know, it can be pushed back. But if you, if the federal law changed, well, then we'd really be in a tough situation. Well, then we look at the situation right now at the Supreme court with uh, judge Amy Comey Barrett being uh, nominated and, she has identified herself as an originalist or a textualist, which believes that the law should be interpreted as written, not as to what you want the outcome to be. Uh, what What is at stake here with the Supreme Court? Because I think a lot of these rulings, a lot of the, like the Virginia Values Act, are going to wind up in the judicial system. Oh, I agree. And and again, the founding fathers understood there were three branches and, and there are fundamental things that undergird our Constitution. Uh, the idea that we're sinful people, that we're depraved people, not just people who have an inherent dignity from our being created by God. They That's what makes the American experiment unique. It actually bound power and it made sure that there were three branches of government. Well, the whole goal was to make sure each one of those branches kind of kept the other one in check. Well, if suddenly the judicial branch is aligning with one part of the legislative process, you know, the founding father said that individual liberty is it's not just our own religious liberty. Everybody's liberty is now under attack. And that's why I try to say to people. We're not just doing this to protect ourselves because we'll be the church no matter what. If I mean, if we're persecuted more after this election, we're still going to preach and teach the whole counsel of God no matter what comes our way. But there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe they're kind of uh, lukewarm in terms of religion and things like that. They're going to lose their liberties overnight. And, and they don't even know that's coming. So I'm, I'm saying this to everybody. This is a, an election where if religious liberty goes, your individual liberty will go right with it. Well, that's that's part of the uh, a major part of the issue uh, the of the uh, of the argument between the uh, the the uh, uh, originalists and those who who, who preach the uh, living document, where they're saying that well, you know, times have changed, therefore it doesn't really mean what it says it means or shouldn't. Well, the sad part. Okay, so let's say let's let's give them their due and say, okay, well, maybe it needs to be amended. There is an amendment process, and so we at one time actually said the country shouldn't drink. Well, it's not in the Constitution to drink or to not drink, and they created an amendment and then they repealed that amendment, and then there's this thing called the legislature. They're the people who are supposed to vote in such a way that we can hold them accountable. And all of those things are defined very clearly in our Constitution to protect your individual liberties. 
really what's going on, the nefarious thing that's going on with these people, call them secular progressives or secular pietists, I call them, is they actually don't want to go through the process of actually convincing people of their viewpoint. And so if they can just take over the court and make it a legislative body, Woodrow Wilson, the first president who wanted to do it, he was a bigot through and through, by the way. And his goal was to expand the court. And instead of having to have a constitutional convention, which would have been very difficult to make the changes he wanted made, he thought, well, I'll just pack this court. I'll get people to do what I want them to do. And they'll vote, they'll vote with their judicial uh, activism. Well, again, our founding father said that's exactly what tyranny wants to do, which is why they wanted this court to just do its job, say something's constitutional or not constitutional and kick it back and make sure they go through the amendment process or the legislative process. Well, just in my lifetime, I think the Constitution's been amended like six or seven times. Right. As I'm saying, it can be done. So, you know, what is this? Well, and, and the sad part about it, I go back to something like Dred Scott because people say things like, well, Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And I said, well, if Roe v. Wade's overturned, it'll just go back where it belongs into the legislative process so that people of goodwill who disagree actually can talk about these things. Some states will be pro Roe v. Wade. Other states will be anti Roe v. Wade. For a $99 Southwest fare, you can go to New York and you can have your child killed even to the day after its you know ninth month if it's born alive, but it was supposed to be aborted. So please don't tell me that there aren't going to be places for people to go and, and kill their kids. But the thing for me that bothers me so much is we're not asking for judges to be conservative judges. We're saying be judges not legislators. And that's different. They're not always going to rule in ways that we we favor too. But like Dred Scott, that was a bad ruling that became constitutional. Well, just because something becomes constitutional, if it's done wrong and the constitution doesn't have it there, it should be repealed by the judges themselves and put back in the process. Now, it took a civil war to finally kind of figure out the, the true teaching of, of Dred Scott and equality for all. So again, I'm just saying we got we got some bad rulings and all the judges are going to do is put these rulings back where they belong in the legislative or in the amendment process. Well, for example, slavery was outlawed by the 13th Amendment, you know, not not uh, that was a legislative process. And, you know, I hear people talk about how precedent must stand. But yet I look at, say, Brown versus Board of Education, which people, I think, on the whole agree about because it overturned the precedent of Plessy versus Ferguson, which legalized racial discrimination as being constitutional. Well, and see, that's the point. If something's not in the Constitution, just because a judge says it is for a moment, doesn't make. So I had that people say the same thing. Stare decisis. Well, you know, if it's if it's how we've been ruling, well, you can't go back. Well, no, you can go back if the whole intent of the law today is 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 absolutely antithetical to the constitutional protections. And I think you'll see some of that. You're not going to see an activist court from a conservative point of view. You're going to see a court that says we're a court. And you're going to see more of that. And, and President Trump has actually put a lot of originalists in the court system. All it means is that people have to take their case back to the people. They have to take their case back to the legislators. And that's how it should be. And there's a lot of controversial things where we don't want five people making a decision for all of us. We want to be able to make those decisions ourselves. Marriage is one of them, by the way. You had no business creating a constitutional right for marriage. There's no such thing as a constitutional right for a heterosexual marriage in the Constitution. So, you know, this idea that that's their job to decide these issues, the founding fathers would have been aghast. 
Well, another thing that uh, that I'm looking at is uh, where I hear the secular uh, progressive side saying, well, gee, you know, a conservative justice, a constitutionalist justice is really going to be an activist just, justice who will overturn uh, who will overturn existing laws. How do we counter that argument? Well, like I said, I mean, again, overturning laws, I'm talking about the, the Supreme Court's job is to make sure that something is constitutional or unconstitutional. That's it. They're not supposed to make any laws. And so the legislators make the laws. And if it violates basic protections, and remember, the, the Constitution was to protect individual liberty from the nefarious power of government, whether it's executive branch or the legislative branch. And so that was all their job was. And if it's not in the Constitution, um, then, you know, that's the whole point of the legislators. They make laws that, you know, as long as they don't violate the spirit of the of the um, uh, of the Bill of Rights, you know, th- that's kind of what it's there for. But if you create a sudden Bill of Rights thing that doesn't exist in the Constitution, well, that is not stare decisis. And that's not good precedent. That's actually judicial activism. So to reverse that and go back to the constitutional um, separation of powers is not activism. It's actually protecting individual liberty. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of things overturned, but there's a couple of issues where they've overstated their bounds. They've, they've actually taken it upon. I, I heard someone say that the legislators are letting them do it because they don't want to ha- have to get involved in these kind of things. Well, that's their job. Yeah. Well, um, one of the arguments I've heard is that uh, a law will come before the Supreme Court and there's a question of whether or not it is fair. Fairness is never addressed in the Constitution, nor is it ever addressed by the court, at least not in this sense. Right. Well, again, like I said, the, the I think what you have is a war on the notion of fundamental liberties, fundamental moral uh uh, perspectives, you know, equal justice under the law, um, redress, you know. Um, again, the Constitution is about your individual liberty before the law. And, and America is the first country in the world that actually said the individual has power as a citizen. Now, the West had been developing that notion, but there's nowhere, this concept of citizens nowhere else in the world. Everyone else is a subject. Even if you use the word citizenship, it's more like you're a subject, the, they're above you, the uh, the elites are above you, and you, you actually have some defined rights. Well, we flipped that over. And that's what's under attack today, because there are people who say these fundamental notions of free speech, freedom of assembly, free redress, these things are archaic. And all I'm saying to people is, even if you're not a Christian, if those things go away and these secularists uh, reverse that whole notion of the citizen who's in charge of his own life, you're going to see a different America very, very quickly. And that, that includes the church. But again, the church's message is super cultural. I mean, we're not going to stop preaching the good news of Jesus. Well, Greg, where can people find out about these issues where, you know, you know, I, people just, uh, many of the people I talk to just, you know, they hate Trump, they like Trump, they hate Bush, or they hate uh, Biden, they like Biden. But their issues are very, very important. And the issues are starkly in contrast between the two sides. Where can people learn about these issues? Well, you know, I, I've written on them and we have a lot of resources on our website, lcrlfreedom.org. We even have one that says vote, vote, um, principles or vote platforms, not people. Um, but we, we do a live Liberty Alert every Wednesday on our Facebook page. We've got, uh, and all the 
We've actually addressed a lot of these things uh, in in these live liberty alerts, and and those, all the videos are there. You can go back. Um, We've talked about the issues of religious liberty with COVID-19, what's our response to be. We've talked about the platforms. We've talked about the Equality Act. We've talked about all these things. And we then write uh, these op-eds, these two kingdom op-eds, because we believe as, as Lutheran Christians, we can get involved in this discussion. Because this is a how do we preserve the world? Well, our founding fathers said if our laws... Uh, they should have some connection to the Ten Commandments. There should be some roots into the Ten Commandments, because if any law that we pass is is the opposite of God's law, it can't be a good law. And so there's a part of us that realizes while the law won't save us, we've got a our culture can can descend into anarchy and chaos really quickly if we don't even honor the you know the moral teachings of what it means to be a civilized uh, human society. So we can get involved in that discussion, but we also know that that discussion is in service to preaching the gospel. So all I'm saying is you can go on our website. There's all kinds of resources there, and we're not afraid of this at all. We're not afraid of the challenges. I don't know who's going to win coming up, but uh, if suddenly we are kind of like second-class citizens, we're just going to have a voice like the early church had, and we'll see what God can do with that voice in our culture. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.